This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. A great hand reached out of the dark and grasped mine for a moment, mightily and tenderly. I said to myself, the veil between, though very dark, is very thin. Hello and welcome to The Thin Place, the Film Geek Radio podcast on religion, faith, and spirituality in film. Your hosts for this episode are Ken Moorfield, that's me, and Todd Troffin, that's me. This is episode 7, and our topic today is Aki Karismaki's Lahav, which was an official selection at the Cannes Film Festival in 2011 and was nominated for the Palme d'Or. We will get into some spoilers at the end and give a warning announcement when we move into spoilers. So if you have not yet seen the film, feel free to stick around until the warning time and then you may want to opt out for the last 10 minutes or so. I got the feeling from your initial comments and watching you watch the film that you didn't like it quite as much as I did. Could you give me just first of all your general response to the film? Well, as a way of synopsis, we have a story of a French town, Le Havre, and a shoeshiner, who is an elderly shoeshine man going around the town, who seems to have lots of friends, good friends, and in the town there is, uh, one day appears a container, a shipping container, uh, filled with refugees, and... As the authorities are opening up this container, a boy, Idrissa, escapes from the authorities and makes his way through the town and meets up with our shoeshine man. And the rest of the film is essentially the story of this man helping this boy to get to London, using the talents and goodwill of his neighbors and compatriots to accomplish this task that sound about right? Yeah, I think that's that's pretty good. I guess in terms of liking the film or not our reactions, uh, I, mean, I liked it well enough. Um, I, I It held my interest. I liked the characters. I was engaged by the story. There were some things about the film that I, I kept struggling to find, you know, to decide, is this just another escape film? You know, the, the, the group of people have to get the package from point A to point B. Or was there more going on here? And there are certainly hints throughout the film, little touches that make you think that at least the filmmaker wants there to be more going on here. Little touches, references to the Sermon on the Mount, um, various conversations uh, with priests, um, and other things like this. And... You know, the very real, you know, kind of setting it up and working around this very real problem of refugees coming to various towns um, and, and how do the authorities deal with this human suffering. I think that's a very real issue. Right. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say that I think the distinction I'd make is it's very much a film about theme as opposed to plot. Uh, you had said that his neighbors are full of, of goodwill and I think that's true after the Idrissa character a ends up entering into the shoeshiner's life. 
Uh, the shoeshiner, by the way, is somewhat ironically or perhaps symbolically named Marcel Marx. But I think that before Edrissa comes in, there seems to be some contentiousness or between uh, the neighbors and the shoeshiner, particularly in terms of his bill and not paying mm -hmm. for particular services. And so, but then after the refugee comes in, the community bands together. I know one of the earlier questions that we had semi-discussed before had to do with the scene in which the shoeshiner Marx's, Marcel's wife, Arletti, is in the hospital. And after telling the boy to hide for much of the film, they send him on an errand to deliver a dress to Arletti in the hospital. And so these sorts of incidents I, I felt like maybe would bother people who were wanting a plot movie uh, in terms of, okay, how is, how is this happening? How is it going to happen? How is it going to be executed? Whereas uh, I was sort of enchanted by the ideas that were presented in these particular scenes mm -hmm. and not as, I don't want to say hung up because that's pejorative, uh, but not as focused on, well, okay, are the logistics of this internally consistent or uh, representative of, of how I would actually smuggle a actual refugee out of La Havre, France? And, and certainly that, that scene where Marcel himself sends the boy across town on public transportation um, to deliver a package to his wife in the hospital... It did bother me um, in, in, this, in a plot sense of th this group of people has taken great pains to keep this boy's existence in their world secret, and now you're tossing him out into the, into the city. Plot-wise, it definitely did. I, I, I think it's a problem um, for the, the, the story. But I think part of the challenge there is the realities of the logistics in some sense, have to be right. Because we're, we're, if the film is trying to tell us something about a very real problem, we need to be thinking about what are, what are the real issues. And I guess that, that little break with you know, a, a plot thing that made some sense took me out of the story for a little bit. Right. Um, although, you know, I will say, for me, I was very willing to let it pass. But it did cause me to, to pause. Well, it, I noticed in the synopsis, the press kit that was given with the synopsis of the film, that Janice Films, in their synopsis, makes a big deal out of calling it a fairy tale. And in the director's, Karismaki's own sort of brief summary, he says... I have no answer to this problem, the problem of refugees, but I still wanted to deal with this matter in this anyhow unrealistic film. Uh, and so right on the first page that you're given, in terms of summary material, you're being told, okay, this is a fairy tale, this is not a realistic film. Now, is that just an easy cop-out? Is, is fairy tale the sort of words using to say don't look at the plot devices too closely because we can't be bothered to be accurate or realistic or is there something to that as a genre that is intrinsic to understanding this film i think i would say to that that in any fantasy fairy tale 
sort of situation. Uh, certainly, we are we as readers, as viewers, are often asked to set aside our the realist realism sort of ideas where we are supposed supposed to suspend our disbelief for certain things. And I will say one of the things that I think the film does well is gets a lot of other realistic details right so that if this is the one little thing that they are that the filmmaker is asking me to sus suspend my disbelief over okay well I want to I want to explore that a little bit more because it's it's interesting to me that you had said in a fairy tale we have to suspend our disbelief about certain things mm -hmm. uh, that would suggest to me that there are certain other things about which we do not suspend our disbelief that the nature of the fairy tale is supposed to be that there are some things that are not the actual world that we live in but that other things that need to be identified with uh, can we be any more specific about that uh, like what are the things that you're allowed to cheat on when it's a fairy tale, or I right. shouldn't even say cheap, but you're allowed to be not realistic. Mm -hmm. And are there any things that need to be the same, even though that it's a fairy tale? I'm tempted to say that it's a case-by-case -case basis. Mainly because immediately when I start kind of rifling through the little file folder in my brain of different fairy tale stories, I can think of different aspects that were, you know, okay... We've got talking animals in mm -hmm. some fairy tales. Other fairy tales don't ask us to think about talking animals, but they, you know, we have to think about witches or gingerbread houses or various and sundry. I mean, one of the things that does seem to be pretty constant that fairy tales and folk tales ask us to keep realistic is a certain amount of human behavior. Right. Um, and, and, and human behavior in terms of, of the spirit, of... You know, attitudes of uh, ways that people treat each other. And I think in that sort of a realm, you know, this idea of sending the boy across town, um, it, that fits. I mean, there was, you know, there was something going on, I think, interpersonally, both with Marcel wanting to communicate something to his wife. And there does seem to be something important about the boy, Idrissa, meeting the wife mm -hmm. uh, is important. But... But yeah, you know, the thing that drew me up short was some of these more logistical things, which in fairy tales, logistics are often. Right. Why is Snow White <laughs> walking in the woods anyway? Don't right. they, don't you know you're not supposed to send your kid out in to talk to strangers? I, I had two thoughts about that. One is uh, I'm thinking I may have mentioned in a previous podcast that Ursula again idea of science fiction, which is to say you can posit a situation. But once you have posited whatever you want the suspension of disbelief to, you have to be internally consistent to mm -hmm. that. Um, and so, so I was less disturbed by, say, some of the uh, 50s stylizations mm -hmm. of the film uh, than I was about once the setup is established, are they being internally consistent to it? But you actually touched on, on what I'm more wrestling with with the film which was the thing that's supposed to be the same as human behavior, mm -hmm. uh, that once the sort of plot or environment is out, people do people act in a recognizable fashion uh, within that situation? 
And I guess that, well, here's where I'm going with this, and I'll, I'll ask you to respond to it. The film presents an entire community of people who are largely in the face of the immigrant or the refugee, good-hearted, mm -hmm. give of themselves, even when they're kind of cranky to each other. You know, before the boy shows up, the grocer doesn't want to see Marcel because right. he knows that Marcel is my neighbor and he's going to want food. After the boy shows up, he's like, oh, I've got some food that's going bad here. Let me give freely. Now, in my experience, now I'm speaking as an American who's in 2011 and uh, in the wake of immigration laws that are very stringent in uh, Arizona, particularly in some other places, uh, that doesn't, the existence of the refugee doesn't necessarily make people kinder or nicer. And I'm wondering if that's just the film saying, okay, this is a fairy tale. Everyone is nice to Idrissa mm. and bounce together because it's a fairy tale. Or whether or not there is supposed to be some connection to in, in the sense of, yeah, there are really people who are that good, you know, or who are that nice. There are communities of people that, that are that good. I guess I would say to that two things. One is if it if we're looking at this as a fairy tale, one of the th purposes of fairy tale is to transmit values. You know, we, we tell these little stories. I mean, sometimes they're just entertaining, but another sure. a major thing of folktale and mythology or fairy tales is to communicate values. And so we may be seeing a an ideal situation where, yeah, in everyday life, these people have their little personal squabbles and each of the characters has their personal foibles that might grate on the neighbor, but, oh, somebody needs help. We all band together. And, and that's a nice, that's a good, uplifting idea to, to transmit through a story, um, through a fairy tale. This is the way we should behave. Mm -hmm. um, or that, you know, here's an ideal for us to aim for. So that, you know, if we're talking about fairy tales, I can buy into that um, in terms of, it's not, I don't look at fairy tales as a way to kind of sketch out the way the world is as much mm -hmm. as it is the way it sh should be. Yeah. Um, well, maybe if it had been an, enti an entire fairy tale, I would have bought into that or I wouldn't have struggled with it as much. I, I guess because you get a very odd mix or eclectic mix of these uh, fairy tale or fantastical elements... Uh, with an insistence on realism or topicality, that it, it if it had been all fairy tale, I would have bought into that. But then, you know, at a key point, Marcel uh, says, "Well, I'm a shoe shiner, and not the best job, but it's not the worst job. You're closest to the people, and you're the it's the last profession that respects the Sermon on the Mount." And so there does seem to be this very pointed, uh, almost political uh, instruction of not just, oh, here's an idealized way that people behave in fairy tales to convey the idea that in a general way that it's good to be nice mm -hmm. to your neighbor, but that, yeah. th that this really ought to be uh, a solution or an answer to 
real life. There, and then there'd be these scenes where they're all sitting around watching the news and seeing the bulldozers take over the refugee camps that um, take you out of the fairy tale and keep bringing you back into what I want to call the, the real world of refugee problems circa 2011. I guess I would disagree. Okay. Um, in that all fairy tales, there's always the evil mm -hmm. that is there. Um, whether it's the evil stepmother or it's the big bad wolf or whatever, there is the evil. Um, and certainly with Marcel Marx, mm -hmm. um, if you know, perhaps this is a political fairy tale. Um, he's the worker. He's the the lowly, you know, worker who's still good. You know, the bad guys in this fairy tale have been the government. Because they're the ones trying to stop these people from going wherever they want to go, it seems. In the logic of the film. Yeah. Um, and, and perhaps this is one of the problems with the film dealing with this topical issue. Is that we never find out why these people are refugees. We don't know what they're fleeing from. Um, we know where they're going. They want to go to London. Um, but the... The obstacle in their path is the French government, the police. Right. Um, well, we're moving into, I, I should just probably announce right now that we're moving into spoiler territory. So if, if listeners, if you haven't seen the film already and don't want specific discussion about the end of the film, this would be a good time to, to stop and come back. Yeah. And... You know, kind of fairy tale has to have that specter of some representation of the bad. And I think that's perhaps what's going on here. And and even the wife, at one point, she the wife ends up in the hospital. She's talking with some folks. And one of the friends says something along the lines that, you know, miracles happen. And the wife says, not in this neighborhood. Right. Um, so, I mean, she's kind of the the very pessimistic side of the story. Um, but again, to me, it had a very, that did have a fairy tale sort of, yeah, there's good, there's bad, and there's nothing in between. Well, before we talk about the wife, I want to go back and talk about the police and the government, mm -hmm. because there is this interesting character, the, the inspector Monet, and you'd sort of said the evil resistant resides in the government Yet, yeah, the extent that it's the faceless bureaucracy, right. bureaucracy uh, his character is interesting because at the very beginning, he comes across as a, a Javert character. When he first meets Marcel eating his lunch, tells him to move along, he, he bullies him a little bit. Uh, but then we see this odd scene in which Marcel meets with his superiors, and it's, I'm, I'm sorry, not Marcel, the inspector, Monet, meets with his superiors. And, and all you names. get is his face. Right. You, you don't get uh, the person that's talking to him. And the person who's talking to him is saying, uh, we need to find this person because it's on the news. Uh, and then he goes to Marcel and warns him and says, well, I'm just on my off time. And, um, you know, if I had the package that I was trying to smuggle, I would get rid of it very soon because the police are getting ready to invade you and I'd be careful about the neighbors. And then at the very end, he, he actually finds the boy in the hold of the ship and tells the other police officers, I've already searched the hold of the ship. And Marcel says, well, I've misjudged you. And so to the extent 
I took that as to the extent that there is evil, it's always faceless and outside mm-hmm. of the film that the people, individual people, are actually good. And so, you know, I'm not sure that, you know, in a, in a fairy tale, I, I, that seems to me to be more of a political statement than a fairy tale statement. Mm-hmm. In, in a fairy tale statement, there's usually a representation of evil in the story. Right. Um, you know, a big bad wolf or uh, something that is the embodiment or the, the symbol of that. Whereas here, it seems much more of a modern political statement that mm-hmm. the faceless, nameless bureaucrats sure. are the, you know, are the evil and we're just all trying to exist. I, I, the inspector is a very interesting character. First of all, it, Monet. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you know the names of this film are certainly dripping right. with invitations to read them as more than just names. I saw him as the film went on, and especially as we do get those scenes where he doesn't seem to be just, you know, he's not Mr. Smith from the Matrix films, the unrelenting, you know, representation of the system. Mm-hmm. And in the way that he does act, you know, he is warning. Um, we do get that tense moment where he does discover the boy, and it looks like he's going to turn them in, almost like a trickster type figure that we you do see in folk tales, um, especially you know, like certain Native American mm-hmm. mythologies of the trickster. And one of the characteristics of the trickster, and that makes him unpredictable, is you don't know if he's. You know, sometimes the trickster is helping you, but you don't quite know, is that help going to really be help? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes the stories that he is. Um, sometimes the trickster does actually help, um, but you can't trust him. He's almost that autonomous figure that is not on either side. Right. That's just the disruptive influence, the Batman or the, the... And maybe he's, you know, that, that figure of chance that, you know, he yeah, he's not the unremitting bad, which something like the Big Bad Wolf, there's no question. Mm -hmm. The Big Bad Wolf is forever and always bad. Um, The evil stepmother is forever and always. But the trickster can go, depending on his whims or his decisions. Mm -hmm. And and that's where I kind of see the inspector falling in, is for whatever reason, he wants there to be law and order, and yet he makes a decision in this case Mm -hmm. um, that says... Perhaps, and this is where perhaps we're getting back to the Sermon on the Mount reference. Right. Where there is a distinct difference between the letter of the law and the spirit. Mm -hmm. And in looking at what would be just for this boy, Mm -hmm. um, getting caught up by the authorities and thrown into the system, which has created the problem anyways. I, I felt like it was less capricious in a trickster film and more of a calculated thing mm-hmm. in part because I want to draw the, I, I want to draw an analogy between that and the other surprise ending, mm-hmm. which is when Marcel goes to the hospital after Idrissa is gone and finds his wife's bed empty and uh, a book, you know, or a package that he's left uh, on there. And the implication being that she died and then they take her to the doctors and they say, we've never seen anything like it. We tried very hard. And then it cuts to our lady and she's like, it's a miracle. I'm, I'm cured. 
and I guess in some ways I want to tie that to the inspector mm -hmm. character because he says, Marcel says to the inspector after the inspector lets Idrissa go, I misjudged you. And it's hard for me to not then draw a parallel between his admission to the inspector of, oh, I assumed you were going to be a certain way and you're not, and Arletti's profession uh, when she's in the hospital and the person says miracles happen and she says not in this neighborhood right. of, oh, okay, perhaps we have misjudged someone else or something else. And yet I was troubled by that ending scene because there was a part of me that wonders if there's not just the too easy linking of her being miraculously cured, him helping the refugee and her being miraculously cured, as though this was somehow a, a, a quid pro quo. It had that feel to it. Okay, okay so... Yeah, I agree. But maybe the way, then, of getting out of the, the, the quid pro quo is by uh, saying or making the connection between the ins inspector of sort of saying, well, okay, we look at it as a quid pro quo because we have certain assumptions mm -hmm. about God, just as Marcel has certain assumptions about the inspector, and the way that he's going to act or not going to act uh, based on certain things. And that maybe the, maybe the take-home or maybe the response that he's looking for, that Karazmaki is looking for at the end scene, is not, oh, how nice. God rewarded him for doing being a nice mm -hmm. person. But maybe I have misjudged God in the same way that he says to the inspector, I've misjudged you. And that... That could be, I mean, it would help, it would help me to, you know, look at it that way because I did find the ending, you know, the very end when the reveal of Arletti being alive to be strongly different mm -hmm. from the rest of the film, both in tone um, and, and it just had that feeling of, oh, amazingly, the sun has lifted, you know, because you completed your quest, Sir Knight, mm -hmm. here is your reward. Um it had that feel to it, which is, again, I mean, if we're talking fairy tales, yeah, there is a certain, you know, fitness to that kind of an ending. Um, but the one thing that, you know, this idea of maybe maybe the things are not connected is that throughout the film, his various friends, there's, there's a bar that he frequents, mm -hmm. um, and there's a, a, the lady who owns the bar, they seem to be friends. Uh, Yvette or Yvonne, Yvonne, I think is her name. And they have various conversations, but one of the themes that comes through is that Marcel, in as much as he's capable in certain ways, just could not live without Arletti. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and certainly throughout the film, she is seen serving him dinner, um, you know, taking care of the house, you know, certainly you know, being there for him. And there is a definite you know, theme throughout the whole thing that without her... Marcel is not going to do well. Mm -hmm. And so perhaps this misreading of, if we're misjudging God, you know, in, in the end of this film, perhaps Arletti's healing is not so much the reward for him doing things, but it's God acting in a loving way to say, I need, you know, in order for Marcel to continue, he mm -hmm. needs Arletti. Yeah. And that would... I don't need to make it work. But, but that, I, I mean, I guess that also brings me back to the whole mix of fairy tale and realism. Mm -hmm. Because it's hard for me to not go 
at the end of the film to a place where I don't think the film wants me to go, which is to say miraculous healings are elements of fairy tales. You know, right. it's part of what marks this as a fairy tale. Because, I, I mean, part of what intrigued me about the end of the film is I was fully expecting him. You know, I've, I've been, you know, sort of steeped in uh, this very pessimistic, cynical culture. And I was fully expecting him for him to go back to the hotel and, or I'm sorry, to go back to the hospital and she'd be dead. And the message would be that, uh, see, there is no connection between good works and, and reward uh, that uh, the, it's, you know, it's unfair, but but there it is. And mm-hmm. that or that in some way, you know, the reward is being the type of person that you are and living in the kind of world that that you want to live in and good things happen. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess this this film differed to me in other films that posit a kind of miraculous turn at the last moment. Uh, And in those films, they worked as kind of, for the faithful, as kind of a realistic depiction of God, because the message seemed to be, when all hope is gone, Mm -hmm. there is still hope in God. But here, I, I, I I couldn't extract the happy ending from the fairy tale setting as as sort of was this was th- that there was something cynical in that or that there was something unintentionally cynical about that that allowed me to go well yes of course it was a happy ending because it's a fairy tale but i know in real life you know and it's i think in the best films they're the ones that are unexpected but make you shit nod your head and say yeah, that's really true. I forget that sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I forget that right. this is the way that it is, and it's good to be reminded of the way that things are. Whereas at the end of this film, I'm not sure I was left going, well, it's nice to think that way. It's nice to pretend that in our fairy tales and in our make-believes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but does he really believe that that's true in real life? Does he really believe that in real life people band together and help the refugee and help <laughs> the neighbor? Does he really believe that in real life you know, God sees who you can't live without and saves that, that person. Um, and the linking of the, the Arletti story with the refugee story had very uncomfortable implications for me theologically about mm-hmm. what the film was saying. Uh, because it, it's saying that God is good and that God rewards the poor in spirit, a la the spirit on the mount. But, only in the fairy tale, you know, only in the only fairy in the tales. Fairy tale. um, although, I, I keep going back to the reference to the Sermon on the Mount, and then sort of saying, well, then if you have a problem with that answer, are you not saying you really don't believe the, the, the Sermon on the Mount? When the Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are they mm-hmm. who mourn, for they will be comforted. Is that just in the, you know, are you really saying to Jesus, oh, well, that's true in the fairy tales. <laughs> and I think, I think what you're doing is putting into, you know, more idea-focused language with the discomfort I felt at the end that this was just bad storytelling uh, or it was not the ending just felt like it was part of a different story because certainly up until that point you know, I was feeling okay you know mm-hmm. and even with the little plot problem but you know this idea yeah, of the people pulling together and helping the refugee I could see that and if that if they were that kind of people and Arletti died, I have a hard time believing that those same people would not have pulled together yeah. to help Marcel, you know, get 
transition. And, yeah, that would have been, in some sense, you could still say it's part of the fairy tale, but it, it's something that the fit in the story, whereas this miraculous healing, especially, you know, one of the things I was just struck by was throughout the whole film, it was pretty quiet film. Um, the, any music that was there was definitely part of the scene, Mm -hmm. but at the end, out of nowhere come these rising, swelling strings and orchestra comes in and it's like, Whoa, you can mm-hmm. almost see a light shining up <laughs> from heaven. Um, she's wearing the yellow dress that mm-hmm. he had, I mean, it's it is really over the top, right? Of miracle, yeah. and but that that change just it really didn't fit the rest of the film. And, and I, I think that you know that was hitting me just from a structure story point. I think perhaps what was you know what you're saying is kind of the more idea focused version of that there's even a there's even a subplot involved with them raising the money to send Idrissa to London to give to the smuggler by having a uh, charity concert with this trendy a trendy a trendy charity trendy charity concert with this uh, local musician named Little Bob uh, but the subplot involves that in order for Little Bob to do the concert, they have to get him and his wife back together again. And so there is the sense in which it's not just, oh, someone's in help, let's all band yeah. together, but uh, I will only, if you help me, I'll help you. Uh, and there's there's a little bit of that, you know, there's a little bit even in that of it not just being, well, everyone, you know, everyone's good. Um, it reminded me of those old MASH episodes where, you know, Hawkeye would want something and then it turned into a long series of dominoes that right. he had to, you know, get these various favors or things for other people and then the, the entire episode would be the comedic, mm-hmm. you know, working out of the problem. It very much had that feel to or it. Or there's a scene in which Marcel is trying to get information about Idrissa's family and so he goes to uh, sort of a refugee village or a you know a place where, where many of them live and they're all sort of camping out by the seashore and he goes to talk to this one guy and the guy's you know eating out of a can and making stuff on a grill uh but he says immediately to marcel do you want something you know do you want something to eat and so there is that i i think an element of truthfulness that uh, there is, there are places where the poorest seem the least stingy or the most right. charitable and I, I I liked that element, and I yes. really resonated with that with that reminder uh, that uh, oftentimes people who have the least are uh, m- more looking out for each other mm-hmm. or, or just more generous uh, than sometimes people who have more. Although some people might say that's a fairy tale that I've I've been around poor people yeah. who are very stingy <laughs> and and who cling to everything uh, that they have, but but that seemed to be very realistic to me, and I'm not sure. Going back to the the God thing, I, I'm just not sure how the movie would have been different if the whole our lady subplot was not there to begin with. I mean, it starts and ends mm-hmm. with her. Right. Uh, but if it was just, um, you know, if it had been a year after she had died and he's kind of wandering around without existence and then does this uh, particular 
thing. I, I, I don't know. I mean, but... I guess at at best, perhaps it was just too neat of an mm-hmm. ending. That, and, and that's something that is true to a lot of fairy tales. Is As involved as the quest may be, in the end, they do tend to get wrapped up pretty neatly and you can't have any loose threads. Um, and yeah. maybe that's just a difficulty or a problem with the genre. Right. Well, and I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to read too much into any one interview or, you know, press material, but I go back to, this may just be to avoid spoilers, but I go back to the interview with Karazmaki in the press kit, and there's nothing about the Arletti story at all. All of the questions Mm -hmm. and all of the director's statements are about refugees, and, uh, you know, to the extent it's a fairy tale, it's a fairy tale because he shows egalite and fraternite of you know of france and the setting seems to be very generic and they very seems to me either deliberately or tellingly don't talk about god at you know don't talk about god at all and so uh it maybe it maybe the parts about god and the miracle are just kind of tacked on as as an afterthought it's hard for me to say in a director of that quality that you know what's in a film that was nominated for the Palme d'Or, that well, and I, I have a hard time thinking that it's just tacked on as well because some of the big hits, the big kind of highlights of saying, "Think about God," are they are skillfully woven into the the film. They don't when Marcel makes his comment about shoeshine people are the, the last ones alive that believe in the Sermon on the Mount. And it, it's a very organic. And there's another scene where he's shining the shoes of oh, some priest yeah. outside the church and they're all debating debating theology yeah. while he's shining his shoes. And, and even that is very organic. Mm-hmm. And in fact, one of the you know, interesting things is that they're talking about uh, the innocents entering the kingdom of heaven and later Marcel has a conversation with the inspector, and the inspector says, "You're you've never been innocent." And, mm-hmm. and Marcel says, "Yeah, I know, I've never been innocent." Mm-hmm. You know, so there are these invitations to think about not just spiritual things, but specifically Christian ideas, right? That are, I would say, skillfully woven into the story, so that you know they aren't just plopped there. Mm-hmm. Um, they 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 feel like there's something that the director is trying to do. Yeah. There's a wonderful um there's a wonderful scene too with between Marcel and another shoe shiner who's Vietnamese, uh, but he thinks it's Chinese Chang. Uh and uh Chang shares with him that he's actually not Chang, that he's a Vietnamese refugee who worked for many years to get a false identity. And so there's there's even some interesting psychological things interwoven in terms of who are you, you know, who he says, mm-hmm. you can call me Chang, I've been right. called that for so long, I'm, I'm used to it. Uh, so there are these elements that are woven in. Well, overall, kind of trying to draw things to, to a conclusion, I'll say we've talked mostly about some uh, places where we're still wrestling with the film. I, I confess that having had those nits to pick i i was somewhat charmed by the film i i i really uh enjoyed it in part because it it did have a somewhat light or whimsical tone mm-hmm. and i you know i'd seen a lot of heavy movies about immigration including Olmi's the cardboard village um and um the dardan brothers um uh, 
but you know some problems about it, immigration and illegal immigration. It reminded me in a in an odd sort of offhanded way of the film Lars and the Real Girl, where you, that's about a small American community in the Midwest that kind of bands together when there is a helpless person who needs uh, not just one of us, but but all of us, and. You know, in that that whimsical tone, I I was kind of charmed by it. it wasn't a perfect movie, but I, yeah. I I I enjoyed it a great deal. Well, and in talking about that kind of a film, it certainly was a much lighter and happier film than Dogville that we just yes talked about recently um, on a previous episode. Another story of a person in need coming into a community and what the community does, right? Um, and yeah, I it was. It was enjoyable. I was very taken just with the look of the film. Um, it you know, was very much feels like one of these 60s, 70s kind of spy movies. Um, the look and the, and the music, um, certainly the, the beginning song and the ending music, you know, have that sort of, I don't know how to even describe the James Bondian sort yeah, of. Yeah, it's sort of a 50, 50-ish funky kind, kind of. of thing. And... And that really, you know, that does kind of help set the scene that this is, you know, yes, it's it's in the past, but we're dealing with current issues, um, sets it apart, and and I wasn't, you know, I liked it. I mean, it was it was fun to be in that world. I, I like the comparison to Dogville very much because I, I think in some ways I'm remembering back to one of the things we said about that film is that people are so relentlessly and consistently evil and irredeemable that there was a part of me that said that's not realistic you know uh that seems to be designed to make a, a statement about how awful people right. are and now we've got this film where i find myself saying oh well people are you know always helpful and always good and they always respond to you know they're all good samaritans at heart and that's not realistic and uh, maybe in some ways then what i'm saying is they're both realistic and they're both not realistic and uh, what what I want is not to have to choose between between them and say sure. this is my version of reality, but to be reminded in a world that I think has mostly gone in the Dogville route uh, of of saying this is what we really think and this mm -hmm. is what we actually believe in the sure. zeitgeist of the moment to say no, there are actually pockets of places where there are still people who who are good or we're not just one or the other. Um, yeah, and. And I would certainly say one of the things you know, about Lahav is that in as much as the filmmaker you know, has stated that he wanted to wrestle with this current issue of these current refugee situation, um, you know, I don't think the film really wrestles in any serious way with the actual causes or reasons for the refugee problem. Mm -hmm. But it really does give us a... A standard to aim for in terms of the heart of our response. Right. You know, this idea that, yes, if we band together, you know, if this group, if this little group in this little town can band together and help this little boy get to mm -hmm. his mother, that's, on some level, that's what we're talking about. Right. Is it people coming together to help other people be reunited with their families. There's a nice exchange in the interview with Karazmaki and Christine Masson uh, in the press kit in which uh, Masson asks, uh, the brotherhood between the people of the fisherman's quartier in Lahav saves the young boy 
But it does not exist anymore in real life, does it? Which is, I guess, the question That's that we're, we're grappling with. And I think Karzmaki's response is, is kind of exactly what you're saying. He says, I certainly hope it does. Otherwise, we are already living in the ant society that Ingmar Bergman often mentioned is coming next. Uh, and other places, Karzmaki says... I don't have an answer to this problem. I'm not mm -hmm. postulating an answer to the problem. But I, I like the way he phrases it in terms of not, oh, yes, it does. This is a realistic right. film. But I hope it does. I hope there are still places mm -hmm. in the world where people, when they are confronted with these problems that are bigger than themselves, uh, respect the Sermon on the Mount, think about... Um, you know, think about what they would want to do or how they would want to respond... Uh, as opposed to, you know, I certainly hope we haven't arrived at the point where you know, we can look at someone responding in a charitable or happy way and say, oh, that's just not realistic. Um, you know, maybe that's not, maybe it's an idealized portrait, but I think the idealized portrait is much, it's not ultimately, I think you hit the nail on the head, it's not ultimately about telling us this is the way the world is, uh, right. but saying, Perhaps the world can be this way if, mm -hmm. depending on how you respond, how, how, how do you want to respond? Right. Um, you know, uh, do you hope it exists or do you hope that <laughs> they're building a fence around it so you never have to look into the face of the boy and say, what would I do? Right. Because that is really the danger. It's, do I have to look into the face of this human being mm -hmm. who is in trouble and needs help? Right. And because once, and certainly this was true in the film, is once Marcel sees the boy's face, I mean, the boy doesn't really talk all that much. No. But once people see him, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, we have to help this person. Right. That, that, that there's, and there's that fundamental difference um, between uh, the other or the alien or the immigrant as an abstraction, as an abstract political mm -hmm. or spiritual idea, and an actual Real boy yeah. who is standing before <laughs> you, uh, hip deep in the water, hiding from the police, saying, I'm hungry. You right. Know? And what are you going to do about that? Um, and I think it worked on that level for mm -hmm. me. Absolutely. All right, Todd, anything else you want to say about the film? No. All right. Well, um, this concludes uh, this episode. If you have questions or comments feel free to email us at the thin place at filmgeekradio.com you can also follow ken on twitter at twitter.com backslash ken morefield or check out my film reviews at the number one morefilmblog.com thank you everyone for listening this has been a film geek radio production film geek radio yeah